This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Wendy's Big Show served up hot and fresh here on The Fan. Steve Sparky Pfeiffer, former Packer and Badger running back Gary Ellerson. Leroy Butler out for the remainder of the show. Had some stuff he had to uh, get to, so he'll be back tomorrow on The Wendy's Big Show at 2 o'clock. Executive producer Dan Plucker, other side of the glass, joining us now on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Uh, He, of course, is the Pro Football Hall of Fame lineman for your Green Bay Packers, Dave Robinson. Dave, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Enjoy it. How you doing? Doing pretty good. You know, it's interesting. Our executive producer, Dan Plucker, here, uh, we were trying to figure out, you know, guests for the week and who we wanted to get on and so forth. Um, and he threw out to to Gary and myself and Leroy to get you on. He thought you would be a great guest to get on because so many times you've talked about what it was like race relations-wise playing back for the Green Bay right. Packers with Vince Lombardi and so forth. Uh, and right. how Lombardi handled things. For those that haven't heard you in the past, can you just educate everybody of what it was like playing back in the day for Vince Lombardi? Well, playing back in the day for Vince Lombardi was pretty good because Vince was was uh, was racially sensitive. Having been an Italian growing up in New York during the time before the Italians were accepted, and uh, so he had he had been ostracized quite a few, few times. In fact, there were like I think two or three times, another two for sure in his history that he thought for sure he was going to be a head coach uh, and something always came up and he didn't get the job. And uh, and he, uh, in fact, right at the end, he thought that when he was in New York, he, he was an offensive coordinator for that 1957 New York Giant team, which went had the overtime game with the Baltimore Colts. And he knew that Jim Lee Howe, the head coach, was getting ready to retire. And Vince thought he was uh, high on the list to get the job as coach of, of the New York Giants. And that that was his hometown, by the way. His family lived in Queens, New York. And then uh, he was told by Ron Tamara, said that the best thing you could do is uh, take that job offer in Green Bay, Wisconsin, because uh, uh, he said New York City's not ready for an Italian head coach right now. And said, so, so he he uh, because of the racial bias at the time, that's how he came to the Green Bay. And of course, the rest is all history. He turned around. First year he took a one ten and one team. The first year he was seven and five, which was great. The second year he he won the division, won the division, and uh, went to the championship game and lost in the last two minutes. And the third year he took that one ten and one team and won the world championship thirty seven nothing. So that was the, that was how it was. So, but uh, even more so than that, so, so playing with Vince, Vince was very good. He uh, 
He drafted me in the first round, which was very uncommon in 63 to draft a black person in the first round. And he had drafted Herb Adley in the first round in 61. And so he was, the rumors were that he had been questioned by the board directors of people in town, why are you wasting draft choices and drafting black guys in the first round? Because no one's going to touch them to the third round. And, uh, and the body reportedly said, uh, I don't draft by color here in Green Bay, in Green Bay. Only clothes we got in Green Bay are green and gold. I draft by blocking, can you block and tackle? And that's how, that's what I'm going to do. He said, you guys control the finances. I want to run this team my way, and that's it. So Green Bay, playing in Green Bay was an ideal place to play. Uh, the only problem you had was when you left town, and when you left town, especially in the, in the early years, during the preseason, we had what they call the exhibition games where you went down south and all around the country with putting pro football on exhibit for people so they could see if they could want a pro team in their hometown. And uh, we went south, uh, uh, you know, that segregation and, and Jim Crow raised his ugly head and we had to put up with it. That's all there was to it. Vince tried his best to, to, uh, suppress, suppress it, but he couldn't suppress it all. Like, uh, um, I remember when we went to, uh, New Orleans, for instance, one time and, uh, we pulled up to the hook for the bus and all the white guys went in and checked in and we unloaded our bags on the, on the sidewalk and had to wait until a cab from the, the other side of town came over to pick us up take us to the black hotel because uh, no cab driver would give us a ride in, in, in New Orleans. Had to wait for the black cab driver to come all the way across town to pick us up. That's crazy. Us, uh, yeah. It was wild, yeah. So, you know, you know and I thought, though, is, it, it, yeah. I thought, though, that day that, though, Vince also, and, of course, we're talking race relations because of everything that's going right. on, though, but I thought also that Vince, though, wanted all you guys to stay in the hotel together. And I think didn't he mandate he that you guys that. stay in the hotel together? After that, this went the great effort to make sure we did. In fact, we went back to New Orleans. We had to stay way up by the airport. Uh, I don't know why, but out there we could live together. Maybe you know, I wanted to live up there to stay in the hotel because all night long the big jets flew over and kept kept here in the landing. But we were at that, and we but we did, and we did oh we did all sorts of things. But uh, he he tried his best. The fact that he, he made it mandatory that we all stay together, and uh, uh, he was a, the guy. The, the, all the African Americans on the team were, were upset and embarrassed by it, but uh, I think Vince was more embarrassed than we were because he said that was it, no more of that. Yeah. I want to talk Although a little we bit did, too, we Dave. Did, we did. Oh. New Orleans was the Orleans was southward. We did play later in New Orleans, and we had the we had that we had this. We were in separate hotels. We played at. Uh, Preseason game again, and we played against St. Louis, and uh, I think that was 64, 63, 64, and uh, and we had we stayed in the, in the in the black hotel in New Orleans, and so did the, so did the, the Cardinals. They stayed down there at the same hotel we were. All the black players of the Cardinals team. It was kind of interesting, made for a very interesting situation. I won't go into that. Yeah. Well, let me talk about a little bit about too, Dave. Um, yeah. I went to I went to a predominantly all black high school. Okay. Right. And we re- re- recruited by a, a number of schools, but decided to come to Wisconsin. And when I came to Wisconsin, I had never seen that many white people before in my life when I got to Wisconsin. <laughs> right. I'm just being honest. But yeah. we we got on a football team together, and my roommate was a guy by the name of Bob Bishop who had went to Thomas More High School, 
uh, here mm-hmm. uh, in Milwaukee. It's a private school. And and our head coach, Dave McClain, what he would do is, if you know, he would bring the black players in and, and right away we go to training camp. He roomed the black players with the white players, the white players with black players. I mean, not that you weren't allowed to room with the black player, but all the new guys had to room with the white player. And he said, you guys figured out, get to know one another. And I think that was my first real initial uh, issue in that this is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to be a team. And this is how we're going to be able to get along. And I think a lot of people who really haven't played sports in that way don't understand on how you assemble a team and how you can come together as one. Yeah. Well, there's a little, little different time, you know. Number one, uh, uh, most of the black athletes were recruited when I, when I came out of high school in 1959. Uh, you know, the, what what happened, a common thing, well, first of all, the South was all segregated, so you couldn't go to the Southern schools, the big Southern schools, and the Northern schools had a limited number of African Americans on their team. And what would happen, the common thing was, your father, or you would have to pay for your first semester at a college. And then, after you, then you could get there as a freshman. And then at the, at the end of your freshman football season, they had spring training. You go for spring practice. If you show potential, then they would award you another one year, one year scholarship or maybe a three and a half year, whatever, depending on how good you were. In fact, the, uh, the great Jim Brown, that's how he got to Syracuse. He, he wasn't drafted. And an alumni wanted him to go to Syracuse, uh, because he was a great lacrosse player. And, uh, Jim didn't have the money, to, and so he paid for Jim's first year in school, semester. And uh, not the whole year, just the semester. And then in spring training, Jim ran over everybody, and so Syracuse gave him a scholarship for the next three and a half years. And that was it. And I myself, uh, I was I was never, never recruited on, as a football player. Uh, they, they had me on the, on the radar, but uh, no one saw me. And the first time I, I saw anybody from Penn State came to look at me, play, play in, in high school, was doing basketball season when I was playing basketball. And he came out to see my athleticism playing basketball one night. And based on that, they awarded me a, a – I found out later. I thought it was a four-year scholarship, but it was only a one-year scholarship. And uh, But then that, in that spring ball, I looked very decent, and they, oh, and they gave me another one. I actually had three – four one-year scholarships when I was in college. I could, I could have lost my scholarship any year, and I never knew it. But that's how it was. But now, when I went to Penn State, uh, I immediately I was I was a plant in, and the other end was white, and so of course, since we had the same position, we were roommates. We didn't room, we didn't room. Color wasn't taken into consideration at at Penn State at that time. It was a uh, it was you just put you room with a guy in your position so you could discuss the game the night before the game, and that was it. And and as we got and so we had we had mostly. In fact, I'm trying to think. I can't think of. A situation where we had all two black guys in the same roommate. Uh, but when a couple of most a lot of those years on the challenge squad, we only had two or three black guys. You know, so right. that was different. A lot, lot different. There wasn't a lot of black guys on the team. I'll put it that way. It was right. a whole different. It was a whole different world. And you lived it. Lived, you know, I tell you one. This is one thing. You know, I used to do a lot of of, of, of lecturing during the uh, Black History Month. But I noticed the way the country has evolved. No one really cares that much about black history. And they, 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 to them, they, some of the youngsters think that black history started in, in, with Martin Luther King or something like that. And they don't understand what it's all about. You know, I, I come up in New Jersey, 
one of the most liberal states in the union. But when uh, uh, when I went to kindergarten, it's first grade, New Jersey, my, my schools were segregated. I went to all-black school in New Jersey for kindergarten and first grade. And not to, not to second grade did they did they, they change the Constitution and forced the integration of all the schools and outlawed all kinds of Jim Crow and, and the racial discrimination in the state of New Jersey. That's 1948, long before the nation woke up. But what did it to New Jersey? Real quick, I'll try to make this quick. New Jersey, where I live, I live 12 miles from Fort Dix, a huge military base. When the, when we captured soldiers, German soldiers, prisoners of war, we shipped them back to the states and housed them in New Jersey at this, at this, uh, at, at Fort Dix. And, uh, and if you were on the honor system at Fort Dix, uh, the, the soldiers got to leave the, the internment during the day and they had to come back like five o'clock at night and they'd be, and be incarcerated. But anyway, when the war ended, a lot of them didn't want to go back to Germany because Germany was destroyed. And so they, they asked for one a grand asylum in the United States. And in 1944, 1945, ex-German soldiers who were prisoners of war could go into restaurants and bars, certain ones in New Jersey, and the black returning soldiers were not admitted. Well, the, the citizenry in New Jersey, white, black, and everybody else were enraged by it. And the legislature had to do something. They changed our constitution immediately. And if it had not for the war, I don't know, we, I don't know how long it would have taken them to change it. It was, and it was, it was like a, uh, they just said, okay, that's, that's just crazy. No one can be, no one can, can, uh, can bar anybody from coming into their stores or restaurants or, or any bars or anything. And that's how, that's how New Jersey integrated. Talk, kind of interesting situation. Talking with Dave Robinson, Pro Football Hall of Fame, a Green Bay Packers lineman here on The Fan. Dave, so have you, I'm sure you've seen and lived in what we're going through right now. Have you seen anything like this before? Yes, I, well, you know, I, I lived through, I lived through the thing, the, the assassination of President, uh, uh, President, excuse me, of Martin Luther King and, and, the, and even Bobby Kennedy the same year and everything, but the one thing that one thing you got to remember what's going through town. I know Milwaukee's getting to it pretty bad. Uh, we had some demonstrations here in, in, in at Akron, Ohio. You got to remember to to separate the protesters from the looters. They're not the same. And I then I saw uh, George Lloyd's brother had a great impassioned speech. I thought on the, on, the, on TV the, the other day where he talked to he begged the people to remember his brother, not to remember. Him, that way, he's a man of peace and want to be peaceful. And, and then he uh, and actually he got down on his knees and at the very spot where his brother died and prayed. And some, a lot of people joined him in prayer. And this is how they are. This is how the, this is how the protesters are doing. They they are really protesting something. They're protesting this man's inhumanity to man. How these cops have have done to the black citizenry. Uh, what they did. They're trying to protest what uh, Kaepernick did. What They've been doing a non nonviolent demonstration by taking the knee, although it was twisted. So all of a sudden, people try to uh, try to turn it into not a, 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 a protest against police brutality, but rather it was a, a protest against our flag, which he never intended. And then, so it was just and just wow. But, but these things show that what he did was was something that, was, that had to be done. I. I this police brutality is getting outrageous. I, I, I saw there are examples of people who were like uh, 
I'm just making this up, but let's say a guy is a policeman in, in the DPR, and he has a lot of he has a lot of trouble with his, his relationships, and they so they fire him, and then the same policeman will apply and he'd be accepted in the Green Bay. This is hypothetical, of course, now, and this happens all the time. That these people will hire ex-policemen who were fired for another precinct. It asks you for trouble. This guy that that that, that killed a, a, a George Floyd. He in, in his ten years, he had something like eighteen different citations where where people had questioned what he was doing, and he never got never got even got indicted. And this this guy's a loose cannon on his way, and yet he he was there and protected the uh, the 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 prosecutor didn't prosecute the cases. He never did anything, and I think then these guys think that the not all the first of them say the way the vast majority of police are not that way are not bad but the bad ones know that hey we're protected i can do what i want my brothers in, in, in blue are not going to squeal on me they're not going to stop me and if i if, if someone does have get takes me to court i'm going to be exonerated uh in in cleveland the, the uh, boy was a 12 year old boy was sitting there in the playground playing with a plastic gun someone called 911 and said there's a boy on the playground playing with a, i think it might be a toy gun she passed on to the police, and the police grew up. And within 12 seconds of getting there, before they had a chance to even question the boy, he was shot and killed. Twelve-year-old boy was shot and killed by the police, and they were exonerated. They went to court and got off. And so the courts have been the courts. The, well, the prosecutors, the prosecutors. If you watch Law and Order, the prosecutors and the police work very close with each other, and the prosecutors will not want not to prosecute the policemen. And then when they get in the court. They they don't get they don't get the they control the the uh, grand juries so they're not indicted and so it's, it's, these these bad cops and that's the that's a few of them but these bad cops know that they're protected they know if they do something wrong the brother cops they got the code the blue code where, where brother cops won't tell on them they won't stop them and this is what the situation happened I think with with George Floyd he saw the other guy just stand by and then later films later. They just saw they were actually helping him hold the man down, and this is this is terrible. And and so it's and you know, and then the, the, what really got me is when they bragged that they said, "Hey, uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis is one of the states where we had a cop and we had prosecuted him. He's in jail right now." What they didn't say was of all the all the cop shooting incidents in, in Minnesota, the one that with the, where they arrested the cop and he went to jail was when a black cop shot a white woman. All the white people who shot black cops got off, shot black people, excuse me. But the one the black cop shot somebody, he was prosecuted and sentenced to, I think it's 10 to 15 years in jail for saying to be murder, whatever it was. And so well, they, they, were, they were bragging that they were they were very just because they had a policeman in jail. And yeah, that just showed more to me the way I saw it. That, that was the worst thing they could have done. They're saying that, yeah, we're going to prosecute any black cops who do something wrong. But white cops can do whatever they want to, and this has got to be. It's got to be. I think the way that these cops are trained, the training's got to be changed, uh, and the, the the city and the state's got to. Or the city's got to be uh, uh, more conscious of, of uh, who they're hiring, and why they're hiring, what kind of record he's got. If he's if he's was fired by another precinct, another district, or something, then why would we want to touch him? You know, and if he does get with us, and we we don't. If somebody does something, why do we want to let? Why do we want his partners? Why do we want to let the other policemen out of this blue coat and not not 
get on him. You know, Gary, if you and I went and robbed a bank right now, and you were outside in the car, and I went inside the car, and I robbed the bank, and on the way out I shot somebody and killed a man doing a, committed a, a felony, and you were just driving a car, you would be, you'd be sentenced, you'd be uh, tried as for murder as well as I. Correct. We'd both be up for murder because we both were involved in a felony in which somebody was killed or died. But yet, cops all the time, one cop was here, there's, there was the four cops there. One of them is now they have arrest for third degree uh, murder charge, which I think was ludicrous. And the other three, and nothing's been done to them. And if this had been a different situation with just guys in the street, all four would have been charged because they, they did nothing. You can't, you can't participate or be involved in, in a felony with somebody else that you don't get charged at a felony, except if you're a policeman. And, 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 the, and the, you know, and then, then, then the, then the, the prosecutor, he comes, he says that, that he said, take, because with an autopsy, it has one thing, and, and, they, and he just state that the man was, he was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. And I've heard on, on some people on the radio talk saying, well, he died in the hospital. No, no, no. He didn't die in the hospital. He died on the street. They took a corpse to the hospital where, where he was pronounced dead. But they, 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 but people in their minds want to ju- try to protect the police, will justify what they did, say, well, he just he died in the hospital. The the autopsy that he came up with said that he died because of heart issues. No, no. The, the when they had the the family had the had their own autopsy done, and so the county did an autopsy, and they said he he basically he was strangled, and for lack of oxygen. His heart stopped beating, and so they're saying he died of a heart attack. If that's the case, everybody that dies dies of a heart attack because for some reason or another, the heart stops beating. But yeah, you know, they did, and it's just ludicrous that they would think that they can pull the wall with eyes. And why would why would a prosecutor want to why would a prosecutor want to issue a statement that, that was so controversial and confusing that he died because his heart stopped beating? You know, it's it's crazy. And, and that's these are different things that got to be changed. I don't think that I don't think that if a, a police is, a, a policeman is charged, that his prosecutor in, in his district should be the one to prosecute the case. Should be done by a, a state attorney general or something, to state attorney or, or somebody who's who's, a, who's not in the same mix. It's got to be done. Some I don't know what I'm, I'm not that astute in the different rules, but I just know it's got to be changed. Something's got to be changed to where. When a cop does something, he is going to be—he's going to have to be responsible for his actions. And if you sit there and watch somebody do some or or are a party to it, you also got to be a, a part. You got to be found guilty, and and and, uh, and you got to be held up for what you do. It's that—it's got to be something. And until that happens, you're going to see these things over and over again, and you're going to see the protests. Now, unfortunately, somebody was sitting there waiting. And I, I, I'm of the belief that, uh, like a lot of people, that there's two groups there. There are protesters and there's looters. And the looters are just, just waiting. They saw the, the protest thing. This, this is our chance to get things. And they, they are breaking and burning, burning buildings. And as, uh, uh, as George Floyd's, uh, Floyd's uh, brother said, why are, we, why are you guys burning down our community? Why are you destroying our shops? There were a lot of uh, destroyed some shops that were owned by African-American owners, small businesses. 
And, they, and there's one lady who was saying she, she was burnt out and she and she she couldn't know how she was going to rebuild. She didn't have the money. She's out of business now. She, she had a whole life. All her all her life savings were in that building. That in that and they burned it out, destroyed it. This is this is so looting. The looting and the protest are, are, are different. And it bothers me a lot when they keep saying the protesters looted. No, there's two distinct groups. And, you know, people go behind it in the, in the, here in Ohio, they, 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 had the, they had the protest movement in the, in Cleveland, but they bust up from Columbus. Now, this is not just people coming to come out to protest. Somebody had to organize the buses, had to organize the whole thing and, and get the people in the bus to bring them to, to Cleveland and blah, blah, blah. This, this sounds like some kind of a, of a, a controlled situation where people have, have done it with, for just for the, just for the sake of trying to loot. Yeah, it's crazy, man. No doubt about it. Dave, hey, man, thanks so much for coming on. Dave Robinson, Pro hey, I'm Football. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to run off the mouth. I do this, man. No, you, hey, man. It's all very, good, man. It's a very sensitive subject in my mind. Yeah. And that's why I'm we wanted to get you on. It. We thought you'd be good, and you were. Pro Football Hall of Fame, yeah. Packers, Lyman. Dave, thanks so much for coming thanks, on, man. Dave. Take thanks, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thank you, man. Listen, Taylor Moore, I said hello to him for it, please. I will. Okay. He had to go take care of the all kids. Right. Yeah, oh, that's, hey, that, that's number one. That's comes first. That's right. Yes, sir. All right. Take care. Hey, thank you. So I, All I, right. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the platform. Thank you very much. You yes, betcha. Sir. Dave Robinson, again, Pro Football Hall of Fame Packers lineman here on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Gary Ellerson, there is only one place to go buy your jewelry. Well, there is, and that's my good friends over at the Jewelry Center, 76 and Layton, Layton Plaza in Brookfield, off of Blue Mound Road in Tri-City National Bank Building right there on the corner, and a third location for you folks in Burlington, Wisconsin. Guys, they have uh, opened their shop. They're ready to go. They're ready to help you guys, and their stores to shop, uh, their full-service repair center is ready for all your jewelry and watch uh, repair needs. The Jewelry Center hours, guys, Tuesday through Friday. 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Burlington location closes at 5.30 p.m. weekdays and at 2 p.m. on Saturdays. Learn more about us, our three locations, the brands we carry, and our full-service repair department at shoptjc.com. Okay, uh, some news here before we get to CBS News. Uh, This coming out uh, from Mayor Barrett. Uh, says, quote, last night we saw a noticeable reduction in illegal activity associated with public protests. I'm optimistic that reduction will continue this evening. At this time, I am not ordering a curfew for tonight, Tuesday, June 2nd. However, if conditions warrant to Mayor Mayor Barrett, I will on short notice institute a citywide curfew. I want to thank all the public safety officials who have been working tirelessly to protect our city. I have respect for the thousands of Milwaukee residents we have peacefully demonstrated in recent days, and I hope that all future protests are lawful, end quote, that the statement from Mayor Barrett uh, concerning tonight. So no curfew tonight uh, for the city of Milwaukee. Gary Ellerson, your thoughts? Well, let's just see what happens. I mean, I'm interested to see how this shakes out. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we they, they really, I mean, they, they've done some damage, but they really hadn't done a whole heck of a lot. So let's see what see what they do with this. All right, let's get the latest on what's going on around the country with CBS News. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.